This podcast is sponsored by Xgrowth. Xgrowth is the APAC ABM agency. If you and your organization are looking to land and expand enterprise mid-market deals, Xgrowth is the agency to help. Xgrowth works with a wide range of international and global technology vendors, service providers, and B2B SaaS companies. If this sounds like some of your interests to know more about, make sure to check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with Xgrowth, and today I'm talking to Georgia Watson, sales enablement leader for Asia Pacific at IBM, about how to take your sales enablement to the next level and design a program that gets the sales team raving about you and the work that you and your team are doing. On that note, let's dive in. Georgia, thanks for joining us. Shaheen, great to be here with you. I'm looking forward to our chat. Yeah, same over here. Same over here. And, um, you know, we haven't, we, we've, we've kind of dabbled into sales and emblem. We haven't really specifically talked about it here on the podcast. So uh, really looking forward to diving a little bit deeper here and exploring it a bit further. And I think the, a good place to start would be defining it. It has, um, it is a, I would say, you know, there, there are some solid definitions over there, but then there are definitions. Uh, and I'd love to hear how you define sales enablement from your perspective. Uh, sure. And, and you said there are many different definitions and there are, it's defined in many different ways. And the way sales enablement looks and works in one company can be very different to how it is in another same geographically, right? It can be very different from one part of the world to another. So there are lots of different definitions. The way I like to think about it is its main purpose is to help sales teams and organizations be more effective. And there are three kind of key ways that sales enablement does that. So the first one is the one we probably all think about, which is about skills, mindsets, and behaviors. So that's one kind of set of competencies that sales enablement focus on. The second one is really around tools and processes. The third one is around content. And I also like to sneak culture in there as well, because we're seeing more and more culture becoming more important than ever to organization success. And as part of that, I say it's important for sales enablement as well. So skills, mindsets, behaviors, tools and processes and content and culture are kind of how I group the different things that sales enablement does. But the overarching mission is to help salespeople and organizations make more money normally. And more, more effective. Okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe let's dive into those three that you're talking about. Can you elaborate? Let's start with the first one, Mm -hmm. which is the, the skills and the mindset. Can you elaborate a little bit on that in terms of how is that one of the remnants of, of sales enablement? Where does sales enablement really kind of focus on with regard to skill and mindset? Mm-hmm. 
So, so again, this is like huge and kind of different topics within skills and mindsets, right? So skills, it could include things like product training, product knowledge, making sure your team knows about a new product, a new product launch, they know how to apply it. It could be industry knowledge. It could be understanding a specific client and implementation. And we always kind of think about, you know, when we think of enablement, many people think of sales training, like how to train people on selling. That's Mm. part of it too, but there's even kind of more than that. And what I find is really important is then these kind of like mindsets too, you know, what lens are you putting on these skills that you have? You know, even when we think about basic selling skills, are you keeping the client need as the top priority or are you going in there just talking about the product that you have? What pain point are you solving for your client? So making sure that you're really focusing in on your client and giving everything the right context. The other kind of part of skills is around how do you work effectively, right? So at the moment, I've been very focused on supporting our managers and leaders in IBM. So do they have the skills that they need to lead their teams, to run effective cadence calls, to support people through career transitions, to do everything that they need to do to have a high-performing team? Because often what we do in organizations, we take our best salesperson who has mastered like the skills and mindsets piece of the equation and they make their quotas and, you know, they're the star and they say, great, let's promote them. And so they become the sales manager or the sales leader, right? But of course, it's a totally different skill set again. So if you have sales managers and sales leaders who can't effectively lead, there's a bit of a challenge there. So as well as product knowledge, skills, how to sell, there's then, you know, leadership, understanding, you know, client context, all kind of wrapped up in that skills, mindsets and and behaviors too. Love that. Love that. And, and isn't that like a, such a great story of this great salesperson getting promoted and then boom, like it just does not translate. Yeah. Where yeah. does, you know, the, the second thing that you talked about is tools, right? And, and I guess um, it, 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 it's fairly self-explanatory what we're talking about of, of uh, the kind of tools that the organization uses. I guess the area that I'd like to clarify is how does sales enablement kind of work with sales ops? And sales mm-hmm. operation, because sales operations obviously owns a lot of the tools as well. How do how do those two kind of, in your opinion, come together? Are they the same? Are they? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So sales enablement is very much in between a number of different parts of any large business, I would say. So definitely operations, marketing, finance, enablement is connecting out to all of those different areas, coordinating and making sure that everyone is in sync. So in the department that I work in, in a very large multinational, sales enablement also has remit over some of the tools. So we get some influence around what kind of tools it is that are purchased. You know, it may be, you know, tools that uh, you run around calls to understand where you need to focus on and, and what you don't need to focus on in terms of the messages that you're sharing or how you're articulating it. It could be something, you know, a, 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 con- a CRM system, for example. How are you managing your leads? How are you managing your opportunities? And then what tools are going into that and what tools are coming out of that? So it could be, you know, either sales enablement owned, could definitely be in partnership with operations as well. Again, it just depends on the different um, different organizations and how they're structured. 
And processes is a big thing too, right? This is another one where, yeah, you need to be in sync with operations. Maybe it's marketing. You know, what happens from that, the, you know, that lead that comes in from marketing? What's the process that it, it goes through? You know, how does it progress? How does somebody put together a proposal? You know, what are the steps involved of that? How does a salesperson get a quote out to someone? What are the steps? So these, again, are all have that linkage through to operations. And this is often sometimes where people misunderstand sales enablement a bit. There's a big focus around the skills piece. So go and run a training session for my team on new product XYZ. But maybe the, the tools are not right. Maybe the processes that the sales team and operations team are having to go through is not making them as effective or efficient as they could be. And it may be that skills are, are not actually a challenge for the business at all. It could be something totally different. Very interesting. Very interesting. And it, it's, um, yeah, I can definitely sense how that it, it just operates across all those different departments and work hand in hand. I mean, you talked about product. It... I'm sure the role ties into product marketing uh, very closely mm -hmm. as well of kind of getting of that feedback. Let's talk about content and culture. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is the part that I'd like to even break down further of what do you mean by content and culture being the third element of sales enablement? Yeah. And these are really two different things, but we know every everyone's brain loves a good set of three. So content is very much around what you are creating to support the sales team. So again, you know, product marketing play a role in this. But from a sales enablement perspective, maybe you're creating client-ready presentations or you're creating call guides for someone in a digital outbound call. You may be creating case studies and collateral for people to take out to clients. You may also be creating templates to help with cadence. You know, there could be so many different areas within content, but that it's really just about equipping the sales teams with tools that they, content that they can actually take out to their clients or they can use for their interactions with clients. So that's the content piece. Got it. Okay. Culture. Culture. So... Nothing has a bigger influence on the success of any team, not just sales team, than one, the manager, and secondly, the company culture. We have all had those jobs where our manager hasn't maybe been what we wanted them to be. And it's actually the number one reason that people often leave jobs is their manager. Another reason that is up there is culture. So from a sales enablement perspective, I would really want to make sure that there is a culture of learning in place. So there are, is an openness to always be learning, to embrace learning, a culture where failure is accepted, maybe even encouraged, you know, because we want people to be going out there, trying new things, pushing the boundaries, doing things differently in order to keep improving. But if you go and you try something really different and you fail and that's career limiting for you, you don't try it again, right? So all of these kind of, you know, that's just two examples, but there's all these nuances in culture that really affect how we perform. And a big one that um, a lot of sales teams are struggling with at the moment is around um, coaching. So many sales teams have a real focus on cadence. So that's counting the numbers, looking at the files, how many of this have we got and what's the value of that and what are you going to do about it, Shaheen? When's mm. it going to close? This really like drilling timeline. people on where it's at. What's the timeline? What's its sales stage? What are you going to do about X, Y, and Z? 
rather than this culture of coaching when it's really supporting you to help identify maybe where there is gaps and solve those problems yourself. So this is really like a value adding kind of relationship rather than a just give me the report. And so we know that when there are cultures of coaching, that's a tongue twister, isn't it? Where there are cultures of coaching in place, again, it implies not only effectiveness and efficiency in the job, but in, in implements things like employee satisfaction, engagement, and it can affect how the volume of deals that are being closed and the timeline as well, of course, if you're catching those issues earlier. Got it. One of my questions that I wanted to ask you is where does sales enablement sit in an organization? And I feel like we've answered that in a roundabout way where mm-hmm. it kind of sits in the middle of everything. And it works with finance and sales operations and the sales team and the product marketing and the marketing team. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you want to kind of add to that that you think is valuable that maybe we didn't we haven't touched on from a from a where it sits in an organization? Yeah. The the only thing I would add is that it's in terms of reporting lines, it can be very different as you've, as you've highlighted. It could report into any of those functions. When I first started in sales enablement around a decade ago, I sat in sales enablement and we reported up to marketing. And so marketing in the country and marketing globally. And that meant that we had quite a focus around content. We had quite a focus around making sure leads that came over from marketing were uh, handled in the way that they should be. But maybe we weren't as closely aligned to the business in some other ways. Mm. So now I sit in a sales enablement function that sits within the business. I report into the leader of uh, the business uh, for my geography and we're much close, much more closely aligned to the business. So we, and I think marketing's changed since then as well. I know marketing's much more aligned uh, to the business now than perhaps they were some time back. But I think it can sit in either. And wherever, if you are in a sales enablement function and you're all you're going to set one up, wherever it sits, it does have to be like that spider web, as you mentioned, like mm. reaching out to all those other different areas of the business that you need to collaborate with to, to be effective. Interesting. And I would imagine, depending on where you report to, the three areas that we talked about would vary where, and and you kind of mentioned it, you're like, hey, we were kind of reporting to marketing and that was like content focus and what's happening with the leads? Are you following up? Are you not following up? And I would imagine it's a lot harder to talk about skills, for example. It's like, oh, upskilling skills. And sales would be like, sorry, Marketing is, is upskilling us on like how to do cold calls or, you know, how like a new method for sales. Please don't don't do that. And I would imagine there's like a lot of re- there would be a lot of resistance there. What are your thoughts on 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 that? Do you reckon kind of reporting to where it is changes the function itself? I think it depends on who is in that function, how it's being led and what their credibility is as well as how closely they are aligned to the business and the business strategy. So let's take your example of sales enablement, sitting within marketing, reaching out to the digital guys who are on the phones doing cold calls, which is the toughest thing every day. And I want to show up and say, right, I'm going to teach you all how to do cold calling. But if in my former life I've done that, 
if I have best practices, if I can immediately show them what's in it for them and the value that it's going to offer, you're going to have a far more receptive audience than someone saying, oh, okay, here comes, here comes marketing. So I think it, in a way it's about how you kind of positioned and perceived within the business, but then also how are you marketing what you are offering internally? So something that I think learning in general sometimes does really badly is selling or marketing what it is they can offer and what it is they're doing. Like, hey, I'm going to come and teach you about cold calling. Like, "Mm, I'm too busy. Go away. I don't want to hear about it. But if you do lead with that value and it's relevant and it's going to help someone in their job and help them make their target and help them get that commission payout, you bet they're going to give you time and listen. So uh, think about the sweet commish. Um, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Salespeople. <laughs> <laughs> so th- that's a great segue to my next question, which is like, how do you make sure that the sales enablement objectives are aligned with sales? Right. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe on the back of what you said is, you know, you have to think about what the salesperson cares. How do you do that? How do you, how do you figure that out and then tune your message and your offering to the sales team, uh, to that, to that, uh, regards. Yeah. I, I think this is a really great question and it's an important one. And I think it would start not even at that individual sales team's need, right? What are the bigger business objectives? So what, what does, what is the direction of the business? What help is needed to get from where you are now to what you need? Maybe it's a, a massive revenue number that needs to be made. Maybe it's something different. Maybe it's a little bit HR aligned, right? Maybe there's a massive issue with culture and attrition. And so if you're in sales enablement, you would deploy totally different kind of programs if you had an issue with retention and attrition versus you just have a huge revenue target that people need to need to attain. So first I think it's understanding, right, what are the bigger business objectives? What are the sales objectives? And collaborating with your sales leadership to then understand, right, if we're going to achieve that, what are the biggest, what are the biggest challenges? And then what do we need to prioritize to help address that challenge? So that's how I like, I like to approach it. There's a, an approach that I really like. It comes from a, a group called Chaos Pilot and they call it backcasting. And one of the kind of the first steps in using this process to plan learning and enablement is to say, right, what is the vision or the goal that we want to achieve? And then you work backwards from that. So then, okay, what skills and what mindsets do people need to achieve that? Say, right, well, they need this kind of skill. They need this kind of mindset. All right. So then what kind of tools and processes do they need to help you know, to help them achieve that vision. And you can kind of work backwards and narrow down, right? So what are the things that we need to prioritize to address that? And of course, you can't do that in isolation, right? You need input from your sales leaders. Ideally, you would want to have input from those who are going to execute it on it as well. One of the things I love is design thinking and It always has the user as central and has a big focus on having input from the people who are going to be the end consumers, right? So why would you not have your salespeople involved when you're figuring out exactly how that this program is going to look? Got it. Got it. That's such a great point. 
Yeah, but in in terms of, you know, how to do it, understand the business objectives, collaborate with everyone you need to to get their input and prioritise where you need to focus. You then need to design your program, how that's going to look. You need to track it and measure it. You'd want to have some kind of smart measurements in place, track it, and and then you would continually iterate, right? Because nothing is static. You know, there's a great quote. It says, uh, the pace of change has never been this fast and it will never be this slow again. So what worked last quarter in terms of your approach to solve and align with the sales objectives, likely something may shift a little bit. And so you need to go back also and shift and make sure your new approach is aligned to what it needs to be now to attain that big goal or vision. Love it. Love it. That's fantastic. The the cool kid in school is generative AI. (laughs) everybody's talking about it everybody wants to kind of give it a try everybody wants to think about like ways to incorporate it have you seen generative ai having an a an impact well i think there's two questions do you see it potentially having an impact and my second question is have you seen it have an impact already yes and yes But can I start by saying this cool kid in school is definitely not the new kid. Sometimes I get a little bit confused. Like AI has been around for a long time, right? Back in the 60s and 70s. IBM would know. (laughs) So so it's been around for a long time, right? It's not new tech. It has exploded now with things like ChatGPT that are are much much more accessible for a lot of people. But back in, uh, let me just give something a little plug. I don't know if you or any of your listeners know about it, but back in 1997, there was a thing called Deep Blue, which was an IBM technology. And it was actually um, a program that played chess. And it actually defeated the world chess champion, Garry Kasparov, back in 1997. So at the time, this was like unheard of, right? A computer playing the world chess champion. And of course it played and of course it won, right? But it really kind of showed what intelligent systems could do. So this was kind of like the first step to AI. Another IBM example was in 2011. So there was a a tool called IBM Watson. Don't you love that name? And so it was a questioning and answering AI system. And it gained a lot of attention back in 2011 when it actually went on Jeopardy. So it played games again against like the current Jeopardy champions in the US. And of course, it beat them and it won. And so it was a really great way of kind of demonstrating the potential of AI in natural language understanding and processing. And so we've kind of come a long way since then, you know, that, that was a while ago, but I think now, you know, generative AI, it, it offers so many different opportunities. And so coming back to your question, I think in terms of its impact, it is already having a big impact in sales and in sales enablement. And I think it will only continue to have more impact. So when we think about a couple of examples, using AI for coaching, you know, getting, analyzing calls and discussions that you're having and giving you feedback, using AI for outbound. So again, thinking of those digital sales team who we mentioned earlier, maybe they're doing video content, so they're, but they're using AI to personalize those videos 
to send out every client content, a personalized video, customized. That's something that you would spend like hours and hours doing, recording, re-recording, gathering your data, gathering your insights. But with AI tools, you can do that really quickly. Another key way that many salespeople are, are, are using it are, are, are simple things, right? If you have a client meeting coming up, you want to know as much as you can about that client. But maybe you have one of those back-to-back days and you're you're time for researching them is really limited. You know, you can pull on the tools and resources that you have internally, but maybe also you run their annual report through ChatGPT and you get a summary of the key points. Even things like personas. So I know you're a marketer, so you will get this, right? So imagine you had to build out a persona, but you had very limited data internally about that persona. Could you build it with ChatGPT? You probably could, right, with the right prompts. So there's so much potential, I think, with generative AI uh, all all rounds. And it's kind of interesting because some people are still like, no, no, just keep me in the dark ages. I don't want to know about that. And other people are like streaks ahead, you know, and they're, they're creating their own plugins and own versions that sync up all their different systems in their companies. So it's an interesting space at the moment. Very true. Very true. I love it. I love that answer. Let's talk about mistakes. What are some of the mistakes that people make when it comes to sales enablement that you've seen some of the sales enablement leaders or um, or kind of managers you see they make? Yeah, there's a, a sort of a bit of a joke in sales enablement communities and we call it random acts of enablement. It's when the sales leader comes and says, oh, no, we're going to miss the target for X, Y, Z. We need you to run a sales training session on it. And then the kind of thought that, okay, I will run a one hour training session on this product and all our problems will magically be solved. (laughs) It very, very rarely happens. So this uh, random access enablement can be a bit of a problem, right? We have to be thinking in programs and we have to be thinking, what is the real root cause? Is it that people don't know about this product or is there something else, else going on? So that's one thing that often goes wrong. The other thing that I see go wrong comes back to well, uh, the points we were discussing earlier, and it's about um, not having really close alignment to the business and what really matters to the business. You know, you can be busy doing all this amazing stuff, but it's not if it's not addressing what that real business problem is, it's a problem. And so the cause of this can be not having really clear objectives um, or a charter that is agreed and locked in with your business leaders. You know, and, and this this can be this can be done quite simply as well if you're in sales enablement. Just uh, having that communication with your sales leaders is this a priority for us? Is this the problem that you want me and my team to address? Yes or no? You know, and then you know whether you need to need to make those adjustments. And the other common mistake is really not using the full breadth of what sales enablement can actually offer. So earlier we said it involves, you know, skills and training, tools and processes, and sometimes it involves like change management and changing the way people think and behave. But if it is just that go and run a 60-minute training session on product X, Y, and Z, you're really not taking full advantage of the breadth Mm. of what sales enablement can and should be able to offer in an organization. 
Very great points. Very valid, great points. And I, I feel like they tie in really nicely with the definition of sales enablement that we went through. The Probably the last question that I want to kind of ask before we get into um, some of the, some rapid fire questions is mm-hmm. if somebody is listening to this and they could be a leader in an organization, they could be a marketing person that sales enablement far, falls under or, um, or, you know, a, a sales leader, but they're really looking at starting that sales enabled function in the organization. What's your advice? Where should they start with building that function in the, uh, in the company? Mm-hmm. Great question and a great opportunity for anyone who is in that position. The first thing would be to really understand what is the business need? Where is the gap? Like what is that one big problem you need to solve that will really change the business? If you can figure that out and then start to deliver on that, even if you don't do all of it, start, that's a huge win for you, right? And it's not always as easy as you think. You know, there's a lot of like root cause analysis, getting, you know, the why, the why, the why to dig under what it is. But really, if you can find that, that is that is where you need to focus, right? You know, you could come in and say, oh, I, I want to create a heap of sales content. But if what the actual problem is uh, that your sales processes are making it take three weeks to get a quote out to a client so they've gone with a competitor, you don't need content. You need to look at sales process optimization. You know, you might go in and say, oh, we don't have a sales onboarding program. I'm going to roll out an amazing six-week onboarding program. But if that's not the issue, again, it's like a wasted effort. And sales enablement is so broad and you can do so many different things. That's why I think it's really important to narrow down on what really matters most for the business. Because sales enablement, like any function, right, you can't just be a cost center. You have to be helping the company make revenue. You need to be able to show this is how much revenue I have brought in. This is what me optimizing this has been able to save in terms of time, in terms of money, whatever it is. It's got to be tangible wins, right? Because if you come in and you're setting up your little sales enablement function and it's just you, you don't want it to be just you forever, right? So if you want to expand your team, you need to be able to show the value that you're bringing to the business. And for many of us who are in big business or tech, that's about the revenue, Like how can you help your sales team be more effective, close more deals more quickly, bigger size deals? Got it. Any other advice in terms of where to start and what to start with? I think that's the key one. Just really, it's got to be the business need and gap first, and then you need to plan, plan from there. Makes sense. No, that's fantastic advice. You have started to roll out your ABM strategy, but you're starting to hit some roadblocks. You're finding everything extremely time-consuming and complicated. The technology landscape is baffling. Deployment support in your organization is non-existent. And to top things off, the sales team has no interest in participating. You know ABM can work for your business, but you're in desperate need of a push in the right direction. Chat to the APAC ABM experts at Xgrowth for a free consultation to help get you on the right track. For more information, check out xgrowth.com.au. That's X-G-R-O-W-T-H dot com dot A-U. And get back on track today. Georgia, let's do some rapid fire questions. Sure. So the first question I have is, what is one resource 
This could be a book, a blog, a podcast, anything that kind of comes to mind that has had a pretty profound impact on you, either personally or professionally. What what comes to mind? Hmm. Can I say the Growth Colony podcast? Oh, oh you definitely can. <laughs> you definitely can. Um, That's going to be a snippet. We're going to be posting that everywhere. Done, done. Feel free, feel free. I think there's. Um, it's really hard to pick one thing, and the word like fundamentally changed. That's a that's a loaded term, Shaheen. One thing that has had a big difference on me, so I'm big on personal development and growth, and I'm a big fan of Mel Robbins. She does a lot of like self-helpish, optimizing efficiency, being your effective self, getting up and do stuff. So I, I really like Mel Robbins. You know, I, I um, consume a bit of her, her content. Love it. Thank you very much. Question two is if you could give one advice to B2B leaders, what would it be? I have two. Can I sneak in Let's two? Let's do it. Let's do okay. it. Two is fine. So number one would be know your audience. This is like marketing basics, right? Know your audience. And it's the same for salespeople. You know, I'm a recovering marketer, but that having your audience, you know, and really getting them. So that's one. The second one is then armed with that information, personalize what you're sending them. You know, no one hates a generic anything these days. You know, we have no excuse not to be customizing and personalizing in marketing, in sales. So yeah, they're my two. Love it. Love it. Great points. Great points. Question three is who are some of the influencers that you follow in this space? I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So there's a lot of people who I follow and and really enjoy learning from. But a, a big one in marketing is Seth Godin. He's just like a marketing guru and I love his insights on leadership and innovation. So he's a, he's a big one for me. Love it. Okay. Thank you very much. And last question is what is something that excites you about B2B today? One thing that I am really excited about is this shift towards the buying experience being more critical than ever. So we know that in B2C, the buying experience has always played a role in decision-making, but guess what? It is even more important now in B2B decision-making. So Salesforce did some research and in B2B, 85% of B2B buyers said the buying experience was more important than the product. So in the same research for B2C, 79% said the buying experience was more important than the product. So this is huge. And I'm excited about this because it gives us a huge opportunity to really focus around what kind of experiences we are creating, where traditionally we've been very focused on the product or what it is that we're selling or marketing. That is such a great point and such a high note to end the podcast on. George, I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. It was just uh, so many golden nuggets and, uh, and finished on a high note. I mean, that's a very important point, buyer's experience, and I feel like that needs a podcast on its own. But uh, mm -hmm. for this one, thank you so much for coming on the pod and for your time. My pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywald 
and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe, we couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Extra. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.